The following is an excerpt from The Thirteenth Guardian, with a bonus behind-the-scenes look by the author K.M. Lewis right after. As the President got back into Air Force One, the pilots awaited his instructions. Salt Lake City, Utah. Let's go start rebuilding our nation's capital. Air Force One was wheels up ten minutes later on a charted course southwest toward the Rockies. By all accounts, the captain expected that the 45-minute flight would be as routine as they came. The flight path would take Air Force One across the southern part of Wyoming, west along Route 80 over Rocky Springs and into Salt Lake City. It was around noon and the skies were clear, so the captain chose to fly at 28,000 feet where the air was smoothest. Most 747s are equipped with sophisticated avionics that track the internal operations of the aircraft and also detect external atmospherics, everything from wind speed, outside temperature, air pressure, and much more. Air Force One's avionics are state-of-the-art and coupled with a full combat-ready military installation on board. Because of the passengers that it carries around, the added security features and avionics on Air Force One allows it to pick up on just about any changes in environmental or physical dynamics in the vicinity of the aircraft. The captain was the first to notice the slight drop that registered on the air density display. It was low enough that the captain didn't mention it to the first officer, who had the controls of Air Force One. Instead, he kept an eye on it. A minute later, the display showed another drop. "'What's our altitude?' asked the captain. "'Holding at 28,000.' "'We haven't changed altitude in the last couple of minutes, have we?' the captain asked. "'No, captain. Why?' "'Air density has dropped a little. I would expect to see that type of drop if we climb 5,000 feet.' The first officer thought it was odd. "'Hmm. We're not flying through any weather fronts, so no change in air pressure.' The air density dropped again. The first officer turned to the captain in disbelief. Whoa, did you see that? Yep, something's up. Not sure what. Altitude is still 28,000 feet. Air density change is implying we've climbed another 8,000 feet. Call it into air traffic control right now. What's the report, Captain? I don't know. Indicate the air density is dropping quickly without change in altitude. We may need to descend to maintain flight. The two escort jets behind us just radioed in that they're seeing the same thing the captain added. In the main cabin of Air Force One, the president was huddled around the conference room talking tactical strategy with his team. The key issue was security and unrest in most of the large cities. Local law enforcement was largely dismantled or overwhelmed, and crime had been rampant. The two Air Force flight engineers in the rear of the cockpit were staring at the computer screens completely puzzled. They patched into the captain. What the hell is going on? I've never seen this before. The air density at 28,000 feet is as low as it would be at 45,000. Captain, that means our ceiling just dropped to 28,000 feet. We can't fly any higher than we are right now. If it drops any further... The stall alarm started to blare in the cockpit. The captain was trained to stay cool under all flying conditions, and this duo of Air Force generals had collectively flown more than 60 years, 12 of them together. The captain stared at the stall warning alert incredulously. He felt a tense nervousness run down his back. In his lifetime of service, he had never experienced the type of flight dynamics that they were dealing with. The rapidly decreasing air density meant that they would be forced to descend immediately to correct the stall. If the air density kept falling at this rate, they would be forced to engage a pretty steep descent to wherever the new flight ceiling would settle. Descend to 15,000. Do it now, the captain barked to his first officer. Captain, 
We're not really descending to 15,000 feet. We're in a free fall, and we cannot pull out of it. I've got the controls, the captain shouted as he fought to maintain control of Air Force One. Just about every avionics alarm in the cockpit was going off around the two Air Force generals commanding the aircraft. It was 12 p.m. Mountain Time. Outside the windows of Air Force One, flight visibility was changing dramatically. As the pilots struggled to regain lift, the air around them suddenly darkened as if they had entered a severe storm cloud. The dark haze materialized out of nowhere. It started out as a gray veil, and within five seconds it had completely engulfed the exterior of the plane. It was suddenly pitch black around Air Force One. The two pilots looked at each other in dismay. They were now flying through complete darkness. Their IFR flying instincts immediately kicked in, and they both turned their attention back to the avionics instruments cluster in front of them. They had fallen to 17,000 feet, but appeared to have regained flight control of the plane. The alarms in the cockpit stopped blaring. We can fly through whatever this is. Should be like flying through a heavy storm at night. Just keep your wits about you. Yes, Captain. We're a hundred miles east of the airport. Let's put this bird down, and the first officer, Drew Jensen, did not have time to finish his thoughts before everything inside the plane became as dark as it was outside. What the hell? Drew had been a chemical engineer in the Air Force for four years before he was asked to fly. It occurred to him that what had just happened was eerily similar to experiments he conducted in high school when he would mix two clear fluids in a beaker, and as soon as they came in contact with each other, the mixture in the beaker would instantly change to a deep purple or a dark blue color. Drew's analytical mind was racing. Despite the fact that it was suddenly completely dark around him, he could still breathe normally. Whatever was in the air was not particulate. It felt like an incredibly dense black fog. It had a wetness about it and felt humid against his skin. Strangely, it also had a scent that was vaguely familiar to Drew, but he could not quite place it. The cockpit had gone from full daylight to a dense pitch black in less than three seconds. Drew surmised that there must have been a foreign gas in the atmosphere that reacted with the nitrogen in the air, immediately changing the color on contact, similar to the experiments he would run in high school. It was the only logical explanation for why it took several seconds before the plane became as dark on the inside as it was on the outside. The foreign gas had to work its way through Air Force One's air intake, then mix with the air on board. It would also explain why the plane had descended so rapidly. The foreign gas mixing with nitrogen in the air must have created a new gaseous compound darker than coal and lowered the overall density of the air. That final thought about air density coupled with the sudden squeal of the stall alarm, focused Drew's mind back into the cockpit. The captain was shouting, We're dropping again! We're dropping again! I can't see the instrument cluster! It's too dark! Drew had his eyes open as wide as he could, desperately trying to let any amount of light in so he could read the instruments. He held out his left arm six inches in front of his nose, but could not see it. The black fog was so thick that it sucked any light from the cockpit instrument cluster making everything invisible. Salt Lake City is situated in the heart of the Rocky Mountains, and the approach from the east is typically picturesque as you fly around the rocky terrain that surrounds the city. The peaks of the mountains are less than 30 miles east of the city and range from 12,000 to 14,000 feet above sea level. In the midst of all the alarms going off inside the dark Air Force One cockpit, Drew heard the distinct warning, 
Terrain! 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 He instinctively reached for the controls to pull the nose of Air Force One upward, but the wings had no lift because of the unnaturally low air density around the aircraft. Drew's mind was still unconsciously searching his memory, trying to place the scent of the dark fog that now enveloped everything. Marrakesh! The memory suddenly came back to him. Drew recalled shopping for argan oil in an open market in Marrakesh, Morocco, a few years ago. The scent of the oil was very distinct and wafted around every corner of the market he had visited. It was oddly fitting that Drew's final thought was from one of his favorite cities in the world. The huge fireball, as Air Force One slammed into the high peaks of the Rocky Mountains, was invisible in the dense darkness of the black fog. The wreckage of Air Force One would be found three days later, with no survivors on board. And here's a special behind-the-scenes look with the author K.M. Lewis. Connect with the author at 13thguardian.com. Hope you enjoyed that excerpt. It was one of my favorite chapters to write in the 13th Guardian for a few reasons. I think it's curious that there's so many common themes in all our myths and legends and in most of our religious lore, and not just any single one, but really most of the major religions around the world. As if many of the stories that live in our collective consciousness originate from the same root. A single global event that happened and that impacted just about everyone on Earth. In this chapter, I wanted to explore the possibility that one of the best-known stories for many of us, the plagues of Egypt, was caused by more than Moses waving his staff. If there was some sort of physical catalyst to this event, I think it is safe to say that it would most likely have been pretty epic global and not easily wiped off our collective memory. I also loved writing this chapter from the perspective of the captain and co-captain of Air Force One. That perspective allowed me to create a view into the physics of what I think may have caused the three days of darkness. So Drew Jensen is an Air Force general piloting Air Force One, but he's also a scientist, so he's able to formulate a plausible hypothesis for the cause of the three days of darkness. The way the three days of darkness is described in the Bible, for example, leaves you with the sense that it's a little more than the idea that the sun simply did not come up for three days. It's far more dramatic. It's described as being so thick and so heavy that you could feel it. I think there's so much hidden in that last part. So I wanted to play around with the idea of adding a physical dimension to the darkness, a texture, and even a scent. Over his career, Drew, the co-captain, has dealt with the most harrowing flying conditions and as the president's pilot, is trained to remain calm under fire. His reaction to the events on Air Force One is very different from the captain, who progressively gets more distressed as he comes to terms with the gravity of the situation. The other dimension to this chapter that I thought would be interesting is the perspective of the president of the United States who is the single most well-protected person on the face of the planet. What you don't see in this excerpt is that the president has experienced the devastation around him on a very personal level, despite all the Secret Service, the contingency planning at the White House and the Pentagon, the government black ops, no one was prepared for what's happening. Which is the opposite of what most of us think. 
that the government has a well-thought-out plan in place to protect the elites and the politicians, the rich and powerful, in the event of a major disaster. The fact that the President of the United States doesn't see this coming really underscores the magnitude of the devastation. So again, I hope you enjoyed the excerpt. If you did, I think you will absolutely love The 13th Guardian, which is already a bestseller on Amazon and available right now in ebook and print format. I will also be releasing the first few chapters for free in a similar audio format in the next few weeks. So follow me on social and subscribe to my newsletter so you can be the first to get the free chapters when they release. You can find all that information on 13thguardian.com.